co-hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. Last week, I said I was nervous, and I'm still nervous. I was worried because stocks, bonds, and the dollar, they were all going higher. And when that happens, it's usually bad news for stocks. Bad news is what happened this past Monday when stocks took a shellacking carried into Tuesday. Really, it shouldn't have been much of a surprise. Prices have been rather rich for a while now. Broad market was trading hands around, I don't know, 22 times earnings. The tech-heavy NASDAQ, well, it was more, pressing up against 30 times earnings. Let's delve into this a bit more. Basically, stocks and bonds are competing for your investment dollars. When yields are low, investors gravitate towards stocks because they simply aren't getting enough return from their income investments. At the beginning of the year, analysts were also expecting somewhere around 10%, 10 in earnings growth for stocks. So the perception was there really wasn't much of an option. Buy a low-yielding bond or pay up for something that we think is going to grow 10% in the coming year. During my annual outlook, I said I thought the 10% earnings growth was way too high for a number of reasons. And I thought it was more likely that those analysts would reduce their outlook as the year wore on. That's pretty typical, really. That's not a stretch. I thought that they would lower them to somewhere around 5 to 6%. Well, now I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, well, maybe 5 to 6% earnings growth may be a stretch. The coronavirus, or COVID-19 as we're calling it now, is having more of an effect on the global economy than what many people had imagined. We all know what it did to the second largest economy in the world, China. Factories were closed. People were told to stay home. Travel was limited. Now, these types of actions have spread outside of China's borders, namely Italy, South Korea, Iran. Imagine if Japan closes itself off you're likely going to have huge supply chain disruptions, which is going to affect everyone. That's why I think 5 to 6% earnings growth may now be a stretch. Last year's earnings growth was basically flattish. And this year, it may hold to be the same. Don't let this shock you. But after tax reported earnings are the same today, as they were in the first quarter of 2018, two years ago. But the market has gone from about 2,700 to 3,225, or about 20% higher because people were and are willing to pay more for stocks. Let's talk about bonds. The 10 year Treasury started the yield out, uh, year out at a yield of 1.92%. Today, it's sitting in a excuse me, around 1.46%. That's a huge move. I mean, a huge move. And it started to go lower before the virus outbreak. So the bond market has been sniffing out slower growth for a while now. Yesterday, the 30-year treasury bond slid to a new all-time low of 1.83%. And I consider the long bond a leading indicator, probably one of the best. So consider that 
the 30-year at 1.83% is where the 10-year was about a month ago. That's a bit scary. And then there's the dollar. It's up about 4% so far this year. The key for me here is that it's going to hurt corporate earnings. Keep in mind, about 40% of the S&P 500's revenues come from outside the U.S. And those foreign currencies, you guessed it, they got to get converted back into dollars. You get the idea. A higher dollar could mean lower earnings. So what am I doing? I don't get the sense that there's been real panic. To me, there's still far too many bulls who are saying buy the dip. Even though it was a pretty sharp and swift decline on Monday, the major averages are still basically unchanged for the year. That's in the face of a yield meltdown and another inversion of the yield curve. And I'm not going to make a market call. Well, maybe I am, whatever. I still think that you need to be cautious. Even after the market pulled back on Monday and into Tuesday, I don't think the market as a whole looks all that much more attractive. Yes, we're going to find pockets of value, but the market overall, not much more attractive. I'd make a list of high quality companies you'd like to own at the right price and be patient. I'm sure you'll end up getting some. What may surprise us, but not really, is an announcement that central banks around the world are going to pump money into the system. And certainly the odds are rising that we're going to get a rate cut at the next Fed meeting on March 18th. We'll see. If you have questions, feel like you could use a second opinion, just give us a call. The number is 571-261-7670. Once again, 571-261-7670. Or you can email us at podcast, which is plural, podcast at xmlfg.com. Okay, let's move on real quick. Warren Buffett released this annual letter to shareholders this past weekend. It's a good Saturday for me. I strongly suggest that you take a few minutes and give it a read. If you're investing your own money, I think this is, you have to. I think this is a must read. He started his letter off by making the point that Berkshire's quarterly earnings need to be taken with a grain of salt. In 2018, a new accounting rule requires a company holding equity securities to include in earnings the net change in the unrealized gains and losses of those securities, which in Berkshire's case is going to make their earnings much more volatile than in the past because of their large equity portfolio that they own. He advises investors to focus on operating earnings and to ignore the quarterly or annual gains and losses on their portfolio. Stocks go up, stocks go down, right? He then goes on to talk about retained earnings and the insurance business. It's it's really good reading. Again, I think it's a must read. But I thought I'd mention a part of his letter that focused on Berkshire Energy. And I know ESG is ESG investing is a thing now. So I thought I'd bring this out for you folks. He says in 2021, next year, in 2021, we expect Berkshire Hathaway's energy operation to generate about 25.2 million megawatt hours of electricity in Iowa from wind turbines that it both owns and operates. 
that output will totally cover the annual needs of its Iowa customers, which run about 24.6 million uh, megawatt hours of electricity. In other words, the utility will have attained wind self-sufficiency in the state of Iowa. And he also says they know of no other investor-owned utility wherever located that by 2021 will achieve an position of wind self-sufficiency. I see all that and I I kind of I got to chuckle to myself because over the years I've always heard that Warren Buffett's a dinosaur and that he's always behind what's happening in the world and then you read something like this and you find out, you know what? They're out in the lead as far as renewable energy is concerned. And during the letter, he also called attention to the differences in uh, gap earnings and adjusted earnings. If you remember, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. So you might want to go back and give that episode a listen. Warren Buffett and I, well, we're on the same page here. He talks about succession at uh, Berkshire and how independent board members may, well, not be so independent. And lastly, he addresses taxes at the corporate level. In 2019, Berkshire sent $3.6 billion, $3.6 billion with a B, to the U.S. Treasury to pay its current income tax. And to put that in perspective, the U.S. government collected $243 billion from corporate income tax payments during the same time. So from those statistics, Berkshire paid 1.5% of all the federal income taxes paid by all of corporate America. He says he hopes to pay more in the future because he's making more money. Let's wrap it up there. I'll be back next week. Until then, remember, as I say every week, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow. This is Eric Whiteman for Common Sense Investing. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.